it's Orson Welles. Of course it is. I think it's time we talked. What is it the writer says? Tell the story you know. Make yourself to home, Mr. Mankiewicz, or shall I call you Herman? Please, call me Mank. 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 Everybody, welcome back to the Love Bell Podcast. This is your host, Elias Rush. This podcast is sponsored by EliasRushMedia.com. Photo, video, digital media production. Today we're discussing Mank 2020, an American biographical drama film written film about screenwriter Herman J. Mankiewicz and his development of the screenplay of Citizen Kane, one of the most notorious movies um, produced in 1941 alongside Orson Welles. Um, This movie is directed by David Fincher based on the screenplay by his late father, Jack Fincher, which is crazy because this guy has been passed away since, I think, 2003, and it feels like this movie was written almost this year. Um... It stars Gary Oldman, Amanda Seyfried, uh, Lily Collins, Ares Howard, Tom Pelfrey, among many other uh, notable names, alongside uh, Charles Dance. David Fincher's father, Jack Fincher, wrote the script in the late in the 1990s. David originally intended to film it after he had completed the game in 1997. Kevin Spacey and Jodie Foster were uh, going to be the leads, but it uh, never came to fruition. His father, Jack Fincher, the writer of this movie, died in 2003. Um, The project was officially greenlit uh, in July 2019 and uh, completed between uh, November 2019 and February 2020. Um, Yeah, it, it was actually filmed fairly quickly, to be honest. So it did have a limited theatrical release. Uh, I didn't actually realize that. Um, I thought it was only going to be on, um, what's it called, on streaming services, which would have kind of made this a little bit revolutionary, talking about the screenwriter of one of the most notorious movies of all time. So let me just rewind real quick with all with with saying all of that. There is a lot of history that goes into this movie and a lot of history that goes into Hollywood. Now, how much um, interest the average viewer has in it can vary, you know, depending on if you were, quote-unquote, like a critic or, quote-unquote, if you're a, a just a regular individual who's just watching to, you know, watch a movie because you like movies. You know, someone that's not necessarily a fanatic but might know of the films, you know... There's different subsections of what uh, movie watchers, um, you know, their backgrounds, you know, how, you know, the types of movie watchers that come from. So this movie is specifically for movie watchers that, one, love movies, two, are kind of obsessed with the history in a way, and three, really care about, you know, um, not only uh, filmography history, but obviously how... Uh, filmography is reflected in real life and kind of without going into too much detail this movie is a behind the scenes of the the behind the scenes um, of the movie Citizen Kane and so just so that everyone understands what this movie's uh, 
all about. It's essentially a movie that is made in the same style as Citizen Kane. And Citizen Kane was already a non-linear screenplay that was written by um, Herman Mankiewicz. This movie is loosely about how Herman Mankiewicz um, came to fruition of William Randolph Hearst, I think his name was, and, and, and basically the characters he came up with in Citizen Kane and how he was influenced by it. But ultimately, this movie... I, okay, so there's two separate things. There's what I thought this movie was going to be about, and then this what this movie ended up being about. The movie, what I thought I was going into, was going to be uh, behind the scenes of the writer of Citizen Kane and how he came to, you know, the thoughts of, 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 you know reasoning of why he wrote Citizen Kane. How did he come up with this amazing script? How did he come up with uh, the characters? How did how did all of this uh, come to fruition? And yes, that is a chunk of the movie, but that's not really even the, the main section of the movie. Like, among this being a wonderfully produced, edited... Uh, oh, edit, the editing in this might be subject to vary but i'd say overall from a technical level this is a very impressive movie but when it comes down to giving us the full life of this character herman j mankiewicz played by gary oldman i feel like it's a little lackluster it's it it's jumps around in the story in a way that feels what i heard david chen say on the slash filmcast it feels unfocused, and I, I couldn't think of the word that this movie felt like, and it absolutely nailed it on the head when I heard that this movie sounds and feels unfocused. It really does feel unfocused. The nonlinear structure makes this movie a lot more difficult to grasp uh, emotionally, and for me personally, because we're jumping all over the timeline Half the time, Mankiewicz is suffering from. I think he was in a, uh, I think it's like a, a car wreck or something at one point, and so he's writing a ton of this stuff. Uh, you know, sitting down, uh, laying down. I think I counted about six times that we had shown him laying down in the bed, uh, trying to recover during this. So I was like, how are they going to make this like interesting at all when I was watching the first 30 minutes of this? And it turns out for me personally, it's strictly uh, a technical work of art. And it's not really for me when it comes down to the story. Like I consider myself someone that loves movies, but I'm not going down the history lane of everything, everything movies. I can't recite all of the the famous actors and directors and producers and everyone behind the scenes from 1919 all the way to 2020. It's just not realistic for me at this time. Maybe in the near future I will be. Um, but as of right now, watching this movie, it I I'm just gonna say I was straight up bored. Like. For the pros that it has, some amazing acting, some amazing uh, performances, and some amazing uh, scenes. I will say there are amazing scenes in this that might be worth just your time watching the entire thing. But this is two hours and 
uh, over two hours and like 10 minutes or something like that. And it is just, um, it's, I don't know how much better to describe it, but, uh, it's lengthy and it feels drawn out in ways that it doesn't need to be. Um, let me hop into spoilers here in a second, but overall, I will say I wasn't crazy about this movie. I was looking for more of a, uh, you know, how, how was this guy influenced? And I didn't really feel like I saw how this guy was influenced. It really talks about how he's more of an alcoholic in ways and how he's an amazing writer when he's drunk, but when he's not, he's, you know, a different person kind of thing. And how addiction and alcoholism can inf and impact how you are as a person. And it, there's a lot of like deep stuff that's going on, but it's a movie that doesn't want to hold your hand. So if, you miss something if you miss a name if you miss what's going on it's like they're not going to go back and repeat what's going on they might just fade out to the next scene unfortunately and i'm just like oh my lanta so um yeah i'm this movie the pacing is completely affected because of the editing i mean they'll they'll stop the scene so they can fade out fade or sorry fade to black and then fade into another scene, and then come back and re revisit the scene before. It just, uh, the editing in it is just not my style, and it made it very difficult to latch onto this. So, Trent by, sorry, music by Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross. Uh, they're, you know, the, these guys have gone pretty far, although I wasn't crazy about the the music in this. I, I, for some reason, I just didn't feel like the music led to feeling, the feeling of being, um uh rushed and i felt like this movie was trying to say yo he only has 60 days to do this and he is not doing it he is not writing this really important script you need to you need to push this guy so i i felt like a, a combination of uh mixed feelings uh trying to understand what was going on with this now the, the cinematography by eric miser schmidt um Oh, he was the cinematographer for, uh, yeah, he's been the cinematographer for Fincher for a while, Gone Girl, Mindhunter. Um, he did, he shot some episodes of Legion, okay. Fargo, okay. Um, the, the TV show. Alright, let's hop into the plot real quick so that we can kind of cover what's going on on this 20 to, looks like a 25 million dollar budget. Um, and of course it's limited release because of Netflix, so they didn't make hardly anything. Um, I'm saying a hundred thousand plus COVID times can't make shit. Um, movie theaters aren't even open. Um, yeah. And edited by Kurt Baxter. I'm curious what else this guy has done. I'm sure this was just, okay. So he did been curious case of Benjamin Button, social network, girl, dragon tattoo, gone girl. And now he's done make. Okay. So he's worked with, he's worked with Fincher for a while. And I like those others, those other, uh, movies. I, I think they're a lot more. Uh, I think all of these movies are better with editing than Mank is, unfortunately. Uh, let's see, though. And, of course, this is just me. A lot of people are going to look at this and be like, how are you looking at this and, you know, saying all this stuff? Well, it's like, I can only review it off of the first time I saw it, in my opinion. It's like, I can go back and watch it a few more times, and I'll give it maybe a different rating. But it's... 
I don't think it's going to improve much more upon this first time because I was just like, this is. I had to sit down and watch it almost two. It took two or three sits to sit down and complete the entire thing. So I was just like, I, um, I, I was ready for it to leave. I was ready for it to get off uh, its high horse of this thinking that I really cared about this guy, and I do for an extent, but I don't feel like it hooked me in a way. So that's that. That's my ultimate problem. It it didn't give me a proper hook. So, let's talk about the plot real quick. Here are spoilers. Also, um yeah, if you are a Patreon member, then you'll be able to listen to the um spoiler section. This is where we are going to drop off everyone that's a non-Patreon member. Thank you all for listening. Thank you all for watching. Have a uh, all your questions, comments, concerns in the um, section, comment section below or wherever you are listening to this, send me an uh, email, luckadogpodcast at gmail.com. And uh, for everyone else, we are joining um, the Patreon section. We are going to talk about the plot and a little bit more of Mank. In 1940, Orson Welles is given complete creative freedom for his next project at RKO. For the screenplay, Welles recruits Herman J. Mankiewicz, who is in Victorville, California, recovering from a, blo- a broken leg he sustained in a car accident. The way they show the car accident is shown in the same way of like an old style. They like cut to black kind of thing, and all of a sudden he's just like being pulled out of the car. Um, Herman dictates the script to his secretary. Uh, Rita Alexander, who notices similarities between the main character and William Randolph Hearst. Producer John Houseman is concerned about Herman's dense, non-linear screenplay, while Herman's brother, Joseph, worries that it may anger the powerful Hearst. Now, back in the day, if you think about how... uh, This is me talking. Now, back in the day, if you talk about... uh, like what William Randolph Hearst had, he had the power to basically send the ultimate tweet to end anyone's life. The guy was, uh, uh, um, a me- he wasn't a media powerhouse, but he was an American businessman, like slash, uh, newspaper publisher. And he had way too much control. My God, they really did nail the look of, uh, Charles dance or this guy looks, looks just like him. Um, so yeah, he he was known for flamboyant methods of yellow journalism influenced by the nation's popular uh, media by emphasizing sensationalism and human interest stories. Okay, so yeah, he it's it if you've seen Citizen Kane, which is what I assume everyone has. I don't know anybody. You absolutely need to have seen Citizen Kane to watch this movie. It does. It seems imperative. I don't know you would get anything out of Mank without watching it. Um, and you need to watch it first, in my opinion. Uh, so yeah, uh, we we watch all of that, and yes, it feels like all of that happens. It's like okay, so what what's the hook for this? So that's the first section, and then it it goes back it, it's going back and forth in time and it's really driving me nuts so it starts in 1940 now we're going back after in uh in 1930 herman visits an mgm location where he and the female lead marion davis recognize each other she introduces him to hearst 
her benefactor and lover who takes a liking to Herman. In 1933, Herman and his wife, Sarah, attend Louis B. Mayer's birthday party at Hearst Castle with many Hollywood bigwigs. They discuss the rise of the Nazi Germ of Nazi Germany and upcoming uh, Goob National Election. I've never heard of that. In particular, Upton Sinclair. Okay, so that guy was ended up being played by uh, Bill Nye in the movie. Actually, apparently Upton Sinclair was a real progressive, and I just have not really known about that. Um, Herman and Marion go for a stroll where they bond over discussions on politics and the film industry. This, to be honest, when I was watching this, this is where I was starting to doze off and I was like, oh my god, somebody hit me in the face with the screeching bird. I need Orson Welles in this fucking movie to do something. Um, I don't mean to, you know, say anything bad, but this screenplay that uh, Fincher's father wrote is so dense that it feels like it just needs like a sprinkle or a tinge of, you know, like, uh, everyone just seems kind of dolly in a way. It doesn't feel like there's any kind of any tension when we're going back and forth in these, uh, back and forth in the timeline. And because we're not with anybody for a certain amount of time or we're not continuing the story in any way, it feels like it just is an abrupt cut every time we're going to the next scene. So it goes to the next scene. In 1940, Hausman grows impatient over Herman's lack of progress. Rita is also concerned of the timing of the writing as well as Herman's alcoholism. Herman eventually finishes the screenplay in time. Hausman is impressed but reminds Herman that he will receive no credit for his work. And so, like, this feels like this should have been pushed the entire time and it should have been reinforced like the things that are happening to this guy are aren't reinforced normally movies are uh most movies i'd say kind of try to focus one or two aspects of a person oh it'd be like uh the progression of herman trying to get over alcoholism or the progression of her him uh, uh the progression of him getting better in some sort of way and maybe having flashbacks to show how he came to this point. That makes sense. It doesn't always feel like the flashbacks co coincide with the, the main timeline. Like we see, you know, why he thinks the way he thinks or, you know, because of this certain time in his life. And it really does feel like, slices of life of Herman Mankiewicz and they even have a line in there and they say like you it's impossible to have an entire man's life in two hours the only thing you can have is uh the remnants or the memory of him or something like that I I, I did I just kind of fucked that, that quote up but it was something of that state um or of that matter and I kind of feel like this is the movie that uh you know is is about that it's like even though Citizen Kane is only shown, he's shown at different points of his life at different ages. I feel like I really understood Citizen Kane, uh, Charles Foster Kane in that movie, in comparison to uh, Herman J. Mankiewicz. Mostly because Mankiewicz feels like he's the same age throughout the entire movie. He keeps saying he's like 43 and he's jumping between 
he's supposed to be maybe 35 at one point or mid 30s there's no way i would ever believe that uh you know gary oldman was 35 at all in this movie which i feel like that's a little bit of a shortcoming in a way it's like if we're gonna have this different points of this guy's life we can't have this guy always looking like a schlum and i feel like this guy is just always sweating out alcohol and it, it ends up being like his ultimate uh you know undoing but that's not for later in 1934 so so i would have thought that this movie would have tackled him like trying to get over his alcoholism him struggling with his alcoholism which i don't feel like it really does it just he happens to be an alcoholic in this um and is called on it for a few times for it affecting his work and affecting his personal life but it's not like to the point where it's just like it's not something that's continuously brought up and it's, it's just you know it's taking him down because of it's a bio biographical nature they can only do so much but i really thought that they would have hammered down you know the alcoholism the fact that he isn't going to receive credit for his work the fact that you know a lot of people are against him in the industry it's just like I didn't feel like that all of those were reinforced. Those are just scenes that happen and they don't, aren't always addressed again. Again, not a bad thing. That's just what I noticed. In 1934, Herman and Joseph begin working at MGM under Mayer. Um, studio executives, including uh, Ivan Thalberg, actively work against Sinclair's uh, Gubnor... Gubnor Norial campaign. The studio produces propaganda films for a smear campaign funded by Hearst against Sinclair. Herman approaches Marion to get the films pulled, but is unsuccessful as she has already left the studio for Warner Brothers. Herman and Sarah later attend an election night watch party at uh, Trocadero uh, Nightclub where Mayer announces the winner, Frank Miriam. Herman, Herman's colleague, director Shelley Metcalf, shoots and kills himself after being diagnosed with Parkinson's disease and guilt-ridden over his role in the smear campaign in spite of personally supporting Sinclair. So this whole section, like I said, uh, I just was like, okay, so Upton Sinclair was uh, supposed to, you know, go a lot further than he did, but because of this possible smear campaign on the, the, uh, with the films and stuff like that, there, there wasn't like a second I watched this and I was like, all right, this guy is definitely suspect and he's probably going to shoot himself, unfortunately. And I just felt like there wasn't any pacing. There, there's something about like, the abruptness of like, all right, all of a sudden Mankiewicz has got to stop this guy from killing himself. And then she's like, oh my, you know, he, he gets the bullets. He shows up at that dude's, at, uh, what is it? Shelly Metcalf's, uh, wife's house. And she's like, oh my God, he had the full box. It's like, I, I felt no surprise with the fact that we cut to a, just the outside shot and he's shooting himself, uh, you know, it's just like, I don't, you know, the outside of the building of he was that he was in. I was just like, this is not surprising at all. I, something about how fast it happened, how predictable. It's just like, all right, this is just like, really, Mank, you're not going to walk the guy back. You're going to leave him there doing whatever. It's like, all right. Um, 
1940, Charles' letter picks up the screenplay from Herman to deliver to the studio. Joseph visits Herman after reading the screenplay and warns him of Hearst's reaction and how it might affect Marion. He does, however, believe that it's the finest thing Herman has ever written. Marion also visits and does his her best to persuade Herman to change screenplay, but no avail. She tells Herman she will try to stop the picture from getting made. Um, and clearly we can see that I just felt like there should have been, I, I don't even know, to be honest, what there should have been. I'm not, I'm like I said, I'm not behind the camera and I'm not behind the script, but I don't, the thing is, I feel like it should feel like a stab in the back. What Mankiewicz is doing to, um, to Marion, you know, I feel like if he's really saying this terrible stuff about William Randolph Hearst, or if he's really making him look like shit, and, you know, Marion is kind of like collateral damage on the side, I wanted to feel more or less like he was hurting a friend, and I I feel like everyone's just like, ah, you know, and, you know, I'm sorry, you know, it was, it was a script, what can you do, it's a movie, it's a film, it's a picture box thing, I don't, I, I just, I don't know exactly what to, uh, place it as you know i I couldn't i it's a little bit difficult for me to really just place it i'm just like eh, they could have done a little bit better in 1937 herman crashes a party at hearst castle where he drunkenly pitches the idea for the film where he will go to write in 1940 off offending everyone present including hearst mayor and marion mayor reveals that herman's Herman is on Hearst's payroll and compares him to a court jester. Hearst tells him an allegory about a monkey and an organ grinder and sees him out. And so the allegory of the, you know, the monkey and an organ grinder, first of all, the technicals of this shot, I really enjoyed the shots of uh, Charles Dance leading him out and then uh, carefully explaining the monkey and an organ grinder. You know, the monkey is just, he's just one part of a bigger piece of this whole thing. Mankiewicz is just one part of a bigger piece of this whole, uh, you know, studio system. In 1940, despite the pressure from Hearst, Wells is determined to make the film and, and intends to rewrite without Herman. He visits Herman and offers a buyout from the studio. However, reneging on terms of his contract, Herman demands credit for this for the script declaring it's his his greatest work wells is upset and tells herman that he has gone to bat for him before leaving angrily herman ultimately receives joint credit with wells and the two win the academy award for best original screenplay for the film two years later i believe that it said that mankiewicz ended up dying about 10 years later after he had um, after he had written all of this and gone through this entire ordeal, that's pretty young to be honest. Under under sixty is way young, but um, I mean he said he had an alcohol problem, and it showed several times him passing out from uh different types of substances. They had they kept sneaking into him. And they were like, oh, you drink too much. Oh, but you drink, uh, but you write so well when you drink. It's like a, it's a double-edged sword. Um, 
But yeah, I don't know how much more I can say about this without uh, just kind of blabbering on. Uh, like I said, I'd give it a 6 out of 10. It was, uh, you know, it was a movie. It certainly was. And from technical levels, it definitely was. And uh, I am hearing uh, people talk about it in ways that it might be like Roma in a way. Roma was a little bit more story-centric in a way that this was more character-based. Nothing, you know, bad about that. But this just did not uh, evoke the same emotions as... Uh, many character pieces have such as even citizen kane so yeah uh it, it's for some people but not for all people and i am not one of those people unfortunately but let me know what you thought about uh mank 2020 um the david fincher film um but yeah so um let me comments questions concerns like it podcast at gmail.com let me know how i can improve on the podcast and uh remember pay, patreon.com slash look podcast uh subscribe get all the stuff get all this early get all this good good early um but yeah um i think that is about it all right let me see all right everyone not all characters are headliners. Some are secondary. You pick a fight with Willie. You are finished. Mayor can't save you. Nobody can. Especially the boy genius from New York. I removed any distraction, eliminated every excuse. Your family, your cronies, liquor. I gave you a second chance. You cannot capture a man's entire life in two hours. All you can hope is to leave the impression of one. <laughs> Why Hurst? Outside his own blonde Betty Boop, you're always his favorite dinner partner. Are you familiar with the parable of the organ grinder's monkey? <laughs>